0: Seasons greetings. Welcome to Seasons. Seasons CSUN stands for Southeast Asian American Suns. This show explores the experiences of Southeast Asian Americans through the lens of two Southeast Asian American sons. My name is Jason and my co-host is Yang. Hey Yang, welcome to another episode. Uh, we're recording this now in August. So right now, at least for me, my current update is I finished my summer semester. So that was exciting. but. Curious what you're up to.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's the beginning of August. Uh, my kids are going to start school soon. Um, I think it's actually next week. Uh, and then I start school, I start teaching a week after they do. Um, so we're going to get back into the normal routine of a uh, academic school schedule. We are talking about the Lao American experience. Um, and so, you know, this is actually relevant to our podcast. My kids, my daughter and son, who are six and seven now, They were recently at a Lao Arts and culture Camp here in Merced, California. So they spent uh, four days uh, at the local Boys and Girls Club learning about Lao Arts uh, and culture. They learned how to play different instruments. Uh, They learned some um, Lao dances as well. Unfortunately, my kids were not able to stay for the performance that happened uh, recently this past weekend. We had a family trip and so they had to uh, missed the performance, but I got a chance to also, on their last day there, I got a chance to watch them perform. I think it was one of those, like, happy birthday song or I love you, you love me song with the Lao instrument. And so that was great to see. They had a great time. You know, sometimes uh, summer camps can be a little bit boring for kids because they're doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, uh, and both of my kids really enjoy uh, being at the at the cultural camp. One of the, the music teachers, he's actually from Laos. Uh, he's Mong, uh, and so that just kind of points to the the overlap between Hmong and, and Lao culture and, and history that we'll get a chance to talk about in our podcast today. So that's what I've been up to for this past week is um, yeah, just uh, helping my kids uh, with the Lao arts and culture camp, and uh, we have a local organization here in Merced that puts it on free of charge to uh, any youth age eighteen and under. So I think it happens every year. So very excited. I think my kids are looking forward to it uh, in the future years as well.
0: That's great to hear. I mean, being able to connect with culture, especially in a tucked away area like Merced. So that's a great opportunity. Great. So we are going from the sea to the ocean, a Lao ocean. (laughs) So as mentioned, today's episode is about the Lao group. So the main ethnic group that makes up the Lao population. So the way we're exploring it today is through a film called The Betrayal. It also has the Lao title, I'll try to pronounce it, Nera Kun. So that should translate to Betrayal in Lao. And I'll read a brief description and then we'll get into our conversation today. So I have the DVD itself, so I'll read exactly what it says in the back. Filmed over 23 years, The Betrayal is the directorial debut of renowned cinematographer Ellen Kira's in a remarkable collaboration with the film's subject and co-director, Tavasuk Sukh I might have said that wrong, so I apologize. During the Vietnam War, the United States government waged its own secret war in the neighboring country of Laos, when the US withdrew thousands of Laotians who fought alongside American forces who were betrayed in the face of imprisonment or execution. One family, the Purva Sats, made the courageous decision to escape to America. Hoping to find safety, they discovered a different kind of war. Epic in scope, yet devastating, intimate. Featuring an exquisite score by Academy Award winning composer Howard Shore. The portrayal is a testament to the resilient bonds of family and, and an astonishing tale of survival. So the film itself came out in 2008 and it's about 92 minutes. The film itself was an Academy Award nominee for Best Documentary Feature, and it garnered a lot of accolades from a lot of different film festivals. So Yang, uh, this film, we watched it more than once. Uh, This is our, at least our second time, if not more.
1: Curious what your thoughts are. (laughs) How do you feel? What stands out? What do you think about the film? Yeah, I really uh, enjoyed the film, and I think afterwards, when you noticed that it was heavily recognized when it came out, it makes a lot of sense. And this film uh, took place over the course of 23 years to make. You know, oftentimes we think about a documentary, something that takes pe- place over the course of several years. But, you know, for this film, for 90 minutes to capture 23 years uh, of the life of a fa- of a Lao American family is unfathomable. You can't, yeah, it's unimaginable. So I, I really enjoyed this film. And this is my, probably my third, second or third time watching it. And you know, for the purposes of this podcast, you know, I was watching it, uh, you know, uh, first of all, just to understand the, the experiences of Lao American, you know, neither of us are Lao American. Uh, I am Moan American. Um, and even being Hmong American, even though after watching the film, I recognize there's so many similarities between the Moan American experience and the Lao American experience. But prior to the film, I think I was uh, quite uh, ignorant about uh, Lao Americans and their experiences. Uh, Even though I grew up in Sacramento, where there is a big uh, Lao American population, um, you know, that just goes to show that even though we live in very diverse areas, oftentimes our understanding of each other uh, is not very uh, deep, it's very superficial. I grew up with Lao American friends, but, you know, didn't know much about their own history. You know, oftentimes we we know about our our history and our culture, but not those um, whose uh, experiences are different. What, what sticks out to me and what I enjoy about this film is it's really about the experiences of adapting to life in a new country and just the dealing with a lot of hardship and heartaches growing up in a very uh, poor area in public housing. Um, but I think it's also important to kind of contextualize um, the experiences of Lao American as well. Um, where are they coming from? And this film does an excellent job of that. At the very beginning of the film, uh, they put out this fact about how Laos is one of the most heavily bombed countries in the world. And so this is a statistic that stuck out to me is that Laos was so heavily bombed that one plane load of bombing happened every eight minutes for 24 hours a day for nine years straight. Um, And a lot of these bombs that were dropped, even today, many of them uh, remain unexploded. Um, And so that's something to remember about. As we talk about the Laos American experience in the US, we also have to understand the impact of the war on people still living in Laos. Legacies of War is actually an organization that works to educate uh, the American public and, the, and also the global society about the effects of war, especially uh, unexploded um, bombs that are left behind after the war. Uh, and so they also do a good job of, uh, of, of trying to get funding to clear these uh, unexploded bombs as well. Once again, the, the organization is Legacies of War. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, that it's important to understand is the, the country of Laos is still going through the aftermath of the war. And then this film does an excellent job of, um, you know, walking us through the difficulties of, of life in America and just the difficulty of trying to find recognition. Uh, so one of the things I want to talk about for today's podcast is the, you know, the title of the movie, The Betrayal. So, as I mentioned before this film, I think it's very comprehensive in that it talks about the history of Lao Americans. So it's not just about what's happening in America, but it's also how life was like prior to the war uh, because you get the different perspective. That The main character, of course, is, is, uh, is Tavis Souk, but his mother is also playing a prominent role in the film as well. We get to hear her voice. She talks about her experience before the war, during the war, and just her aspirations and concerns for her children uh, as they grew up in, in a society, uh, in a place where there's so much violence uh, and, uh, and and there's so much change going on. I'm, I'm curious, what what did you think about the title? Because I have a couple of thoughts about what this title actually refers to uh, in the film. It is an interesting title
0: because if I just heard about it, I wouldn't have guessed it's about uh, you know, a Lao family in the U.S. So I think it is very important that they chose a title that was... that made a lot of sense to them. So for me, betrayal, it could be the government's perspective of a people, but for the most part, that's not really what it means. Although it can include that, but what it actually means then, especially as a title in Lao Tzu, uh, Nero would have been more about how these people participated in the secret war during the Vietnam War and were left to fend for themselves so I think we get a lot of reference to that, and for the most part, I think that's more of the definition that we're aiming for.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I think the the tide of the betrayal, uh, it's like a running theme uh, throughout the course of, of the film. Lao Americans are often an invisible group. Uh, very few people know about uh, Lao Americans, um, even uh, Tavi Suk talks about the film where you know, people are calling him these uh, different Asian groups names or de- derogatory terms, but he's Lao American. And no one knows about that. And so part of his purpose in telling this story and using this documentary to tell about his family story is really to uh, put the spotlight on the Lao American experience about how they came to this country. A lot of the Lao refugees were actually recruited by the CIA uh, to fight on behalf of the America to stop uh, the infiltration of communism in- into Laos. Uh, and so in the film, um, you know, they talk about the promises that were made to Lao soldiers who fought on behalf of the Americans, and that if they were to lose the war, that the Americans would take care of them. Um, and that's one of the first references to betrayal is that these promises were made. And once the U.S. decided to uh, pull out of Laos, uh, these refugees were often left on their own to fend for themselves. And then when, once they came, came to this country, yes, of course, they were resettled into America, Uh, But just like other uh, Southeast Asian refugees, they were resettled into some of the poorest areas in America. Uh, And so Thomas uh, Silk and his family were resettled into Brooklyn, uh, New York, into public housing. Uh, The first apartment that they were resettled into was a two-bedroom apartment that that already had a a Vietnamese uh, family and a, a Cambodian family. And so his family of, I think, at least seven we're forced to live into this cramped um, housing situation. Um, and so it makes you, you know, wonder uh, just how difficult it is for refugees to come to America and be put in situations like this. And public housing is often not the best place uh, for any refugees to experience what it means to be an American. Uh, and so uh, because of that, uh, the film talks about the challenges of, of growing up as children. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, crime and violence uh, with Asian gangs uh, throughout the course of of the film, uh, and so you definitely see just uh, the difficulties that young children, uh, young adults have with trying to acclimate to life in America, and then trying to have to deal with uh, all these uh, troubling trends of, of gang uh, and violence. Uh, and so those are the kind of things that stuck out to me. Uh, the other thing that stuck out to me was just the the responsibility of of Tavis Suk, who's the main character in the film. He's the oldest son, and so he has that, he bears that responsibility. Uh, to take care of his son, younger siblings um, and so you you f- feel the kind of the, the pain that he has to carry with trying to uh, keep his siblings safe uh, and that often means that he has to uh, try to impose control over their actions and behaviors uh, and the mother also feels the same but you know their story is also very similar to uh, immigrant adaptation as well in that a lot of immigrants are often struggling with a class of culture they have specific values especially Uh, respect of elders, respect of those who are much older than you. And so from one end, you see like Tavisuk and his mother uh, talking about, you know, these kids are disobedient. They're not listening. They're doing things uh, that we don't approve of. And then uh, there's also a gender aspect as well, because here you see the Tavi and his mother talking about disobedience and you feel for them. And then, um, you know, right after their conversation, you see the perspectives of the daughters who are often being restricted, and so they talk about yes, I want to do these things, but you know my parents and my brother don't allow me to do so. Uh, so there we see a lot of just a class, a class of, of culture as well. On that
0: point, I, I do want to bring up the idea that uh, one of the elders in the film at one point they were talking about um, America is hell on earth. So I thought that was a quite as figure of speech, because a lot of times we talk about the American dream and what that is. And then suddenly we get this idea that America is hell on earth, especially because they escaped a- another hell, you could say, during the Vietnam War. So I think that puts it in perspective that these elders that came from a war-torn country is saying that about the country now they're resettling in. So I think what that, what that point makes for me is that they see how they really don't fit in here or they're not welcomed here and how tough it is to be here even though they belong here in a sense that they did their a time let's say they've followed through with what they were agreed to during the vietnam war but now the way they're being treated isn't in, in a way that is the way they would have expected or they aren't able to maintain their own traditions or culture because it's really being torn apart in here in the U.S. Yeah.
1: And I, I think that kind of follows um, some of the aspirations that they had. Like prior to coming to America, a lot of the elders saw America as a safe haven. Like uh, this is the promised land. This feels like heaven because of the popular portrayal. So, you know, you know, even though they're they're in Laos, they often here, but what America is like and then to come to America and recognize how difficult it is uh, in that it's just as difficult as what life was like during the war, perhaps even more difficult. And so I think that, that comment references that, that, that point about how uh, they're put into situations where uh, they've lost hope. I um, mean, you definitely see that the depression, the anxiety on the elders, just always talking about their inability to control anything that's happening around them. Um, and such an important aspect to talk about. is like the mental health of refugees. We often don't talk about that. We talk about what people go through, uh, but the mental health aspect is just so important as well. The anxiety of having to live in areas where there's so much crime and so much danger. And uh, you always feel like you have to be overprotective of your children, even though you try, uh, you know, those efforts doesn't lead to much success. Uh, and so I, I think that's an excellent point just about refugees and kind of their hopes and dreams and how they are often uh, squash in America because of the difficulties of living in poor communities. The other part about the,
0: the poor community that you mentioned too was the gang aspect. And what might be surprising for some people, it wasn't a different race, let's say, gang. It's other Asian groups that are making up the gang. So they were talking about in the movie that the people who were committing crimes against them uh, were vit gangs. So it shows you that even though these groups were similar backgrounds, as far as Vietnam war goes, they f- became fragmentalized or they were different. They still saw each other as different, even though they came from familiar backgrounds. So same region in the world, and then placed into another region in the world. However, there isn't a coalition necessarily. They are, are more fragmented. This is essentially Asian versus Asian. So one group versus another. So this could have been either just a survival mechanism, being in a poor area where they just have to fend for themselves, or it was just a matter of residual animosity from the home country to begin with could be both. However, youth tend to make up gangs more. So in this regard, it most likely would have been their uh, poverty status that led to this uh, path of crime.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. What's leading gangs from different ethnic groups to terrorize other ethnic groups? They're all Southeast Asian refugees. Is it because of the pre-existing animosity from the homeland? And if that's the case, then we should see like parents hating upon each other because that's where the animosity comes from. But these are young people, you know, they grew up in America. Uh, They don't have that sort of knowledge or that sort of animosity that carried over from the the previous country. I I think for me as a sociologist, you know, people are often a result of their environment. Um, And so if you put people in poor areas where there's a lot of violence, people are going to have to adapt to survive. And oftentimes that means you also have to be violent yourself. You always have you know, to, for protection gangs, uh, you know, for a lot of Southeast Asian gangs, gangs often start off as a, a way to ensure protection from like outside groups, you know, from like non-Asian um, harassment. But, you know, as as they form and as, as they uh, continue, uh, it is no longer about protecting against other uh, outside uh, forces, but now it's much more about, Using that power, using that influence to control, uh, to arrest uh, people uh, within your local, uh, within your local area. This notion of gangs didn't exist uh, in the previous country. mean, um, so, a lot of parents, you know, I grew up, I grew up in Sacramento. I'm not sure what your, what your experience is like, but just like other um, Southeast Asian refugees, there's a lot of gangs, uh, and parents had no idea that their son was in a gang. They thought their sons were just out there hanging out with uh, their buddies, and then. Uh, before you know it, somebody's a victim and somebody's a suspect, and uh, that's often like the first time that the parents learn that their kids are involved in a gang. So, I think gangs are a creation of American society, um, and so if you put uh, people into those communities, young young children, especially boys, are going to find a way to survive, to to thrive in that area, and that often means. Uh, you know, you find other uh, like-minded people of your uh, ethnic group, and then you uh, seek to protect yourself. But uh, over time, it's no longer just about self-protection, but it's also about exerting your, your power and your influence. That is
0: something I grew up with as well, noticing. Other friends that maybe were less well-off, I mean, we were never well-off. But a lot of folks that were maybe in poorer, like in poorer conditions, they definitely were more prone to that kind of environment and peer pressure. First it was about protection, just your group against another group. The other aspect though was a isolation factor. A lot of times refugee parents are suffering from trauma, but they also don't understand this country. So there's a disconnect between their generation and the generation that was either came here as young children or born and raised here. So they don't understand the world the same as their parents. So there's a disconnect between that gender, their offspring and the parents. So when your children can't talk to the parents about growing up here or their problems, a lot of parents might shut down their children and say, well, you don't even know what hardship is. And to a degree, they're correct. You know, they're going through a war-torn country. But... It's kind of relative, the idea that their children are going up through violence and impoverished. So they're suffering too, just in a different degree. So because of that kind of perspective, these people are looking for family outside of the family. So when other people say they're, you know, like brothers or blood brothers or welcoming them or accepting them just for who they are, they would gravitate to that. And maybe it's just a way of being accepted and that's it. But it's a slippery slope because as we see, it leads to violence and crime and other factors that create a record for you that you may have to pay for later as well.
1: We definitely see this class of culture uh, in the film between the, the elders, but just older siblings and younger siblings, where, you know, Tavisuk is the main character and he and his mothers are always talking his mother are always talking about these kids are not listening. Like they're doing things opposite of what we say. We tell them not to do certain things and they still do that. And you know, it's like dating, you know, they had a, a issue with the, one of the a younger sister dating somebody that they thought was uh, uh, involving gangs. But that just goes to show that, you know, I think the parents want their kids to understand the sacrifices that it took for the family to get to America, like the life during wartime uh, Laos. But then the parents don't appreciate the difficulties that the children are going through in an environment where there's so much crime and violence right, and people are seeking a sense of belonging. Uh, and so in that situation, it, it seems like you know, both feel like their experience is being ignored. And, and so that's, that's, that's very true because um, you know the, the, the young kids, the parents don't know about their own experience. And then for the parents, the kids don't know about their own sacrifices. And so this is, I think this is the issue of a loss of an, an identity. Uh, it's not understanding uh, who you are, who your people are, because uh, you know there, there's so much stress and anxiety uh, in, in that specific environment.
0: So this film is mostly serious, really, really serious. But there was, a, but there's moments of humor. Um, the v- part that I found the most funny was when they said when they left Thailand, where they were sponsored as refugees, and came to the U.S. Tavisuk said they thought they boarded the wrong plane. Because when they were driving from the airport to where they were living, all they saw were black people. So they thought they landed in Africa, (laughs) which was hilarious, but it kind of not because it's funny because it's like where they were was a concentration of certain people uh, that were occupying in the space that was almost designated for them. So that's the best, that's the kindest way I could put it. But they were essentially what you might say were in the projects or in a ghetto and because they moved from one let's say ghetto that is refugee camps to another they this wasn't their perspective of america this isn't what they thought of they thought of america as a certain way but because they landed somewhere and were going somewhere that looked different from that they were like well this obviously is not the right place so it was it was a funny moment and i thought uh it it, it does, it's a, re, it's a culture shock and a reality, a <laughs> reality bites. Mm-hmm. So that was a funny movie. Yeah.
1: Cause that's, that's the reality of America is, you know, you get these popular perception of what America is like, you know, the, the American life is what you get through movies and films, and then they get to America. And this is also the reality of America is that yeah, white people live in different areas, they live in better neighborhoods, better communities. And then non-whites are often concentrated in these poor communities. And so that's what they're witnessing is there are two different Americas. And what they're being exposed to is the the America in which there is a lack of resource, there's disadvantage, uh, there's violence, uh, and there's a lack of hope compared to the other America where uh, white Americans live. And that's a very different um, story there. So shifting gears a little bit,
0: I would say this documentary is maybe three different stories. Uh, They started off with a lot of context, so just kind of where the story starts. So a lot of it is background information and just about the Vietnam War. And then another part of it is the personal story, the one of Tavi Suk and his family. And then I would say a third arc is eventually kind of either reconciliation or maybe a coming to terms so because the film itself does take a span of 23 years it allows a development of that kind of story a personal story to you see Tavi as let's say maybe a teenager or like a really young adult and then growing up into adulthood so it's a very intimate portrait because you get a lot of access to the family and you know their communities and people. So with that regard, I would like to talk about the technique of filming. What that encompasses is just the way they shot footage or news footage, but also the way the people are also active in the documentary. It's not just an observation of a family. A lot of times documentaries are made in a sense that it should be unbiased, which uh, this this documentary does do, but at the same time, it does come from a perspective. So you are getting a perspective from someone and a group of people about what had happened. So it's more than just an informational documentary. It's not just about facts. It is about people. And then it gives you that idea. So one thing about the story itself is that it started off around 1984 So within 23 years, you could see how you stem from young adulthood to a a more mature adulthood. And a lot of what's included, you could say, is maybe in the tradition of an oral history. So you do get information from people about traditions and culture along with their tragic experience. A lot of stories are embedded in, so like different mythologies and things like that. So. Outside of just tragedy, you also hear a little bit more about the culture uh, through stories. Then for the other aspect of the film too, you get the idea of how politics and family are intertwined. So a lot of times that is something that some families may not have to deal with, like politics affecting them. However, as refugees, it's almost... Embedded. It's almost a part of your background one way or another because as Yang mentioned a lot of times we are affected by our environment and conditions so as refugees that's just a part of your life if you recognize it or not. So I guess one thing I want to talk about then is at least one of the techniques is the idea of using archival footage along with shot footage. A lot of times during the war, or at least for this documentary, they weren't on the ground shooting footage of the war. So they use archive footage, but it adds a lot of context to the film because it helps validate it in the sense that they use footage that was shot by corporations and actual people that were either state power or uh, professionals, let's say. So what that means is there's already content available that allows you to see what had happened, how the U.S. was involved. So they weren't just making claims saying like, oh yeah, no, we fought on behalf of government, a uh, U.S. government and such. There's footage that supports this and there's information. So if anyone feels like this is cognitive dissonance, dissonance where to say, oh, uh, you know, U.S. is there for democracy, this and that. And then it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? So you get footage of JFK and Nixon and all these like military or political figures saying why they're involved. First, they start off with denial, like, oh, no, we're not there. And then later they say, well, we're there, but limited engagement. And then eventually it's like, yeah, well, we're withdrawing. So it's like what you might call mission creep or escaping responsibility by not fully acknowledging it, but acknowledging it as they go. So I thought that was uh, one way that they hope make this documentary more well-rounded by using factual information and juxtaposing it with the personal tells.
1: Well, thank you for that, Jason. That's so um, informative. I think for a lot of us, we're just watching the film to see what's put out there. We often don't think about kind of the different decision, the different choices that the filmmakers have to make about what they want to actually put on screen. So I, I greatly enjoy that. Uh, ju- That's just that talk about how these things are made. So given that this film took 23 years to make, my questions to you is, when do you stop? Is there a point in time where you decide this is it? Or you uh, perhaps maybe they're, they're trying to find some sort of closure. Uh, and if, if it's not there yet, then we just keep filming and see where it, it takes us, or when when do you decide to say, this is enough? Like, we spent 10 years on it. Uh, you know, this film, is it, it's, it's good. Or let's keep waiting for something to transpire. And what if it never transpires?
0: <laughs> I think it's Andy Warhol who said, great art is never complete. It's abandoned. So I don't know if it applies to this. But it is the idea that you always, it's almost the same with, you know, like let's say in academics, you have a deadline and you need to write an essay. So you just, you write it until it's good enough and you turn it in. But every time you read it, you always think of how you can change it or readjust it or something. It's the exact same thing with film. You always watch, rewatch, and you're just like, oh man, I could change this, I could do that. But at some point, you just had to give up. <laughs> Quote-unquote give up. And the movie itself took 23 years from my understanding, a lot of times due to uh, situations that came up during the filming process. So I think the um, Ellen Kuras, the, the director, she had another project uh, so she couldn't discontinue it uh, indefinitely or uh, linearly. So they had to do it off and on. So it wasn't that it just takes 23 years. It's just that different things come up and you just kind of pick it up and drop it at different times. So And I think what happens too is the scope changes because you're thinking, okay, this is what our project is. And then as, it, um, as developments occur, it, it, it changes. The structure changes. So I think what had happened was that the father... They didn't expect the, well, for the most part, um again, spoiler alert, they thought the father was dead, you know he wasn't going to be part of the movie. it was just about the historical context of what had happened in Laos and the family and how they're dealing with it. That was the film, but then suddenly they get a call, <laughs> and then and then the story takes another turn, so they were allowing that to be part of the movie, so I think it's great they were flexible, they were like okay, you know this is important, we need to include it and it's Unique because I don't think people have the patience or ability to do a movie like this. So the fact that they were able to do it, I think it creates something that's very special that um, allows other people to now understand the long term effects of how a tragic incident um, had occurred and the end result of it.
1: Yeah, I think the father's story is a story of two tragic endings. The father was arrested in Laos. And so, um, you know, once the communists uh, took over Laos, and so the family thought he was dead. uh, And then they find out many years later, they get get a phone call. And he says he's in the U.S. He's going to come visit them. And that was one of the point in the movie where I feel like it really brought the family together. I mean, throughout the film, we see that there's so much disagreement um, especially between on one side you have Tavisuk and the mother and then on the other side you have uh, the rest of the children and it seems like there's a clash there between what the values are, what the what, what each person should do. Um, and then the father uh, inserts himself into the film uh, into their lives and you know it brings the family together. Everyone is huddled around the phone listening to the father and then when the father actually comes to visit, uh, the father and the mother has a meal, and the kids are all sitting around, just watching them uh, having a conversation, and eating, uh, and there's so much hope there. Uh, and I just feel like throughout the film, it's just it just seems like there wasn't a lot of hope. People are often talking about just the dangerous situation, uh, just the lack of cohesion within the family, and then the father comes into their lives, and it seems like you know there's hope now. Um, you know, everyone is going to be together again. Uh, the father is going to take over his responsibility and Tavi now can uh, go back to being a young adult and, and not feel like he has to be a parent of the household. And then we get this other side of the story where the father came to the U.S., but he has his own family that lives in Florida. Uh, and So the film takes place in Brooklyn, but the father is married to someone else who lives in Florida. He has several kids of his own already uh, and he goes back to Florida. He can... He's, he's there to see his kids in Brooklyn but he goes back to Florida and it, and it breaks everybody's heart yeah and, and so the the mother goes into a depressive state and and all the children now have left home they ran away from home uh and so I, I think that's like drama that you can't you can't make up it's it's just happened in life and when a movie is able to capture that I think it's amazing uh that they're able to capture this. This sort of drama that's unfolding where there's, you, there's a lot of hope and then it's, it's tragedy because um, the father figure uh, is no longer there uh, and so the family seems to fall apart because there's so much expectation that um, everything is going to go back to normal.
0: One of the most crucial moments in the film for me was the stunning admission from the father who says he regrets his involvement collaborating with the Americans to bomb his own country. That is a very telling moment of a person involved in a war that they may not have been fully aware of, of the ramification or consequences. So I think when you participate in a conflict in one side or another, you believe your side is the correct side. However, for him, he admits he made a wrong because he added to the devastation of his country. So... The fact that he was able to say this, I think is a, again, a stunning admission, but also it's a reflection of the past that he has to come to terms with now. Like in one sense, how does he live with himself um, having had done that? And also it's a good lesson because anytime another country is involved in this, this type of conflict, now people have an idea of what that might mean. Okay, as tradition dictates, we are now gonna do our Sun's rating. So we're gonna talk about if our satisfaction level and what kind of taste it leaves in our mouth after watching this film. So for me, I think this film is definitely fulfilling. It has Everything I think I would want as far as a historical film with information, but also a personal story that helps convey it in a very palatable way. So what kind of taste does it leave? Well, for me, it's more savory. The reason why is because it it's very contextual. It has many layers and stories. It leaves a lot to chew on. So it's a story worth watching if you want to get a preview of what the Lao experience is. So Yang, what do you think? What's your Si rating?
1: Yeah, I would, uh, you know, echo what you said earlier about this film being very fulfilling. Uh, we've watched the film in the past before, aka Don Bonus. This is a little bit uh, different. I mean, I think this different uh, in a in a good way, in the sense that it adds context. the The history of a group of people is so essential to understanding their experiences in the U.S. and this film, those archival footage that you mentioned previously play an integral role in helping us understand who Lao people are uh, and to give us a better sense of their adjustment uh, in the U.S. I would say this leaves a bitter taste in my mouth in the sense that you just see the difficulties that refugees had to endure when they came to the U.S., um, you know, living in public housing, you know, f- having to deal with so much uh, gang and violence, and maybe the film didn't choose to uh, explore this, or maybe there was no support. I'd be interested in kind of the sort of institutional support that was available to refugees. Um, here in the film, it was mostly just about the family and the and also the community and the siblings and. Feel like they had to fend for themselves, so it left me with a very bitter feeling just about what refugees have to deal with on their own without any support from outside organizations to try to help resolve some of the situations, whether it's about uh, gang and violence or whether it's about you know family uh, dysfunction or or family uh, arguments. And so, I I think you know, you watch this film and you have to appreciate how much uh, Southeast Asian. Uh, refugees have had to overcome the difficulties, uh, and it's just to be alive and uh, you know and, and uh, to be thriving today. It just goes to show how much progress has been made in the community. Great. So that wraps up our latest episode of Sea Sons. This was our review
0: of the betrayal uh, it came out in 2008. So based on what we have said, see if it's worth watching on your end. We, I think, on my end, think it's a lot of information so hopefully what we have talked about gives you a good idea of not just the experience of Lao people but also how it can be conveyed in a film format so that concludes this episode everyone as usual look forward to our next episode so until then see you next time